Thank you. Howdy. So uh, before I do anything, I have to give a shout out to every Chris in the sound booth. Um, and whether or not you all get the reference, there are many times that I'm standing down here and someone says, hey, Chris, can you? And it just happens. So there are a lot of Chris's up there, uh, and I work with them every day, and what happens in chapel would not happen without all of them. I can only do so much by myself. But like Dr. Graham, so like we said, my name is Chris Joseph. Uh, I'm going to throw up a picture of my family behind me because most people don't think tech people are married and have kids. Uh, I have been married for over, for over 15 years now, and I have three kids behind me. Uh, my oldest on the bottom right, as you can see, her name is Mackenzie. The one on the left, her name is Aubryn. And my little guy in the back, Jude, and my beautiful wife, Jordan. 15 plus years, I am at least somewhat normal. Maybe. Um, maybe. I still love technology, but not as much as you, you see. Anybody? Never mind. Napoleon Dynamite, come on. Moon boots? Someone in here has moon boots right now. Okay, never mind. So, uh, this is my family. I've been married. I've been doing all sorts of things. Uh, I've been involved in Chi Alpha for 10 plus years. I was up in Duluth, Minnesota, at the University of Minnesota, Duluth. It's actually where I got my undergrad. I have a BA in history with a minor in philosophy. And then, after being, on, being part of the staff group there for several years, I decided that I needed to get a master's degree in order to get credentialed. By the way, it's a very expensive route to credentialing. Uh, if you want to get credentialed, you don't have to have a master's degree, but I would highly recommend it. And so I moved to Springfield, Missouri, uh, worked with Kyle there, and worked on a Master of Divinity degree. So I spend most of my life thinking about things that happened, wondering why they matter, and how it relates to God. It's just the way it goes. And then I make things go blinky-blinky. Um, or really loud. So, you know, I don't know how it all fits together. I haven't established that part in my life yet. Uh, if any of you have any ideas, let me know. I'll get back to you. So, I actually want to jump in, and I come from a preaching perspective that is highly focused on exegetical. Now, before anyone gets bored, for those of you in homiletics classes, exegetical isn't boring. I actually think it's more interesting than any other type of preaching. So I'm going to spend a decent amount of time reading through some scripture here, and we're going to talk through it and see how what God is saying to us now. The Bible deals with absolutely every subject matter we can imagine. So if you want to throw this up, we're going to start in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Uh, and if actually, if I could have you all stand up for a bit, I really like to give honor to God when we take time and read his word. So, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And he did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. 
he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. Let's pray for a moment. God, thanks that you are here with us. Thanks that you love us, that you care about us, and that you want to impact and meet us here today. You want to impact our lives, meet us here, change us, draw us closer to you, transform us more and more into your likeness every single moment of our lives. Bless this time. Give us wisdom to hear what you have to say. Amen. Y'all can sit down. Thanks. So let's unpack this a little bit. To set the stage for you, you got to remember the Israelites have literally just gone on a pretty epic journey over time. And you know, if you read the old the first several books of the Bible, you know that God called Abraham uh, out of Ur, the Chaldees, and he's like, hey, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. So Abraham goes on this trek trying to figure out um, where God's leading him and taking him, and God does some amazing things in Abraham's life. He has kids. Goes through a couple generations, you get to Jacob. Jacob is his whole family starving. His son Joseph gets taken away from him. His brothers basically sell him into slavery, which sounds like a really fun thing to do to your brother or your sister. Um, never, don't think any of us have ever had any inclination like that. Um, and then uh, God uses this uh, this opportunity to help. Jacob and his family survive. So they move down to Egypt. They live in Egypt. They're blessed. Generations change. All of a sudden, the leaders in, in Egypt start taking advantage of them, throw them into slavery, basically rip their lives apart. And then they're all sitting there. They're, but they're still uh, propagating. You know, you get, they're having kids, and they're growing, and more families, and bigger families, and whatnot. And they're sitting there in this time, and God's looking at them, and he hears them, and he raises up a guy named Moses, and he uses Moses to help lead his people out of Egypt, out of this context they were in, and walks them to the promised land. They get there. They all freak out like, we can't do this. And God's like, fine, then go walk around the desert some more. And uh, until all the people 20 years and up are dead, except for a few people like Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. And then so they walk around in the desert. So you got these people, you know, you have babies being born. But you had all these kids like 20 years and younger who were walking around who had to witness this and see what their parents had caused them, the grief their parents had done to them. And then you get to this point where Moses goes up, on this, goes up and he starts talking to all Israel. He's looking across the river at the promised land. He can't go in because he screwed up. He hit a rock instead of honoring God. And God said, I'm sorry, you can't go in now. And so he died there. Joshua takes over. He was basically a disciple of Moses. Moses was mentoring him, teaching him. He takes over. Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land. You have the story of Jericho. And then we start just rushing through all of the book of Joshua, which is really exciting. You should all read it. It's very, very fun. Uh, and it's all this great information in there about the power and the majesty and the amazing power that God displayed for his people. You come to the end of this book, and it's where we find ourselves in, this, uh, in the passage we're looking at. Joshua's nearing the end of his life, and he calls the assembly together. And he starts out 
by telling them that they need to choose whom they will serve. All of this is in the context and the setting of everything we just talked about. It's like you need to choose whom you're going to, who you are going to serve. And it reminded them that serving God requires complete and total faithfulness. You can't do it halfway. There was no room for serving any other gods other than the Lord, Yahweh, Yehovah, depending on how you want to pronounce the Hebrew. You can't serve anyone else. It's just him. Even their parents, as he points out, had served other gods. They'd gone through iterations of not being wholly devoted to God. But he said, today you have to make a choice. It's your moment of truth. You have to decide what you are going to do. In the same way, God asks each of us the same question. Whom will you serve? Will you serve the Lord God, or will you serve other things, other people, other stuff? Now, for many of you, college is a whole new experience. It's the first time in your life that you've actually had independence where you have say and control over your life. You get to choose the things you do. This includes things like when you eat, when you sleep, uh, if you sleep, um, when you do your homework. You know, all these things. You have to make decisions and choices. You have the freedom to choose what you will believe also and what you will serve. Now, for those of you who grew up in a Christian home, I want to say this very explicitly. You cannot live underneath the covering of your parents' faith. If you try to stay under your parents' faith, it's already gone. You never had it. My kids grew up in my, are in my house. You saw pictures of them. I have standards. I have rules. I have things that we, my wife and I, we have decided that we're going to raise them a certain way. It's our choice. It's our choice. Now, yes, growing up at home, your parents, you may have actually bought into the faith. You may have poured yourself out into it. You may have been in youth, you may have been in other settings, but you still now have to make it your faith. You have to take ownership of what you believe. Now, for those of you who grew up in homes without a faith foundation, you now have an opportunity to establish your faith from this day forward. You and your family background can no longer determine what you believe or how you act. You cannot use it as an excuse to hold you back. You have to let go and move forward. Now, this is, this is a time in your life. I've worked with college students in multiple different settings. I love the college setting. I love all of you. You are the, some of the most amazing, profound, powerful people. You do not understand the power that sits in you. You will change the world. The question is not if, it's what you do. You are making an impact every day in everything you do. Your choices add up, they stack together, and you change the lives of people around you. If you think small things don't change, the whole world can change on a small thing. Last November, COVID-19 hit. One little tiny thing that no one in the world knew changed 2020 forever. Now, yes, we're going to look back at this. This be interesting. I'm not going to delve in deeper into what that means for us and whatnot. Everyone, it's, everyone's, we're all talking about COVID. We're all tired of it. We want to get past this. That's not the point of what I'm talking about. The point is what I'm talking about is one little thing actually does matter. What you do matters. 
This is the time in your life when you get to solidify the things that you believe, the things that you will value, who you are going to become. And here's the kicker. Most adults don't change what they decide in college. These years of your life, when you make a choice, very few adults change that choice over the course of time. Yes, God can intersect and interact with any single person, but the choices and the foundation you lay right now determine your future. It doesn't mean there's not hope. There's always hope. There's always God. But we still have a say in that. It comes back to the fact that God is calling you to serve him faithfully with all your heart now. So let's jump back into the text. The people recognized that God is the one who rescued them from, from slavery, led them out of captivity in Egypt, performed miracles in front of them, like amazing miracles. I mean, imagine walking around the desert watching this cloud and fire move around in front of you. Protected them on their whole journey, and fought on their behalf to bring them into their new homeland. This is what they saw. And because of that, they recognized that God had set them free in order to serve him. What are the things in your life that God has done for you, with you, in spite of you? What brought you to where you are today? I would argue that your life journey demonstrates God's commitment to you. It may not be pretty. It may not be perfect. It may have twists and turns and things that are blatantly wrong may have happened to you on the way. At a university of our size, it's all but guaranteed that some of our friends and peers, staff, faculty, have dealt with severe challenges in their lives. To put this in perspective, some of it's divorce. Some of it's single-parent homes, absent parents, poverty, drugs, alcohol, sexual assault, and much more. Be careful to assume you know everyone's story. We often hide our darkest pain. I'm not here to tell you that anything that happened to you was somehow God's will for your life. I will not say that to you. It is not biblical. It is not God's will when bad things happen. We live in a world ravished by sin. And the consequences of it are all around us. Some we can see, some we can't. Sometimes it's easier to look and notice when someone comes out of a divorced home. It's much harder to know when someone comes out of a home where they've, stu they've struggled with self-identity. When they don't believe in who they are. When they're depressed. Possibly even suicidal. Other things. Our generation, that your generation, I mean, has a huge number of suicidal people. This is not okay. But it's there. And oftentimes, we don't see it. But remember what God brought Israel out of. 
they were imprisoned by a ruthless leader. Their families were destroyed. Their children were murdered, most likely in front of their eyes. Their lives were far from the chosen people that God had promised to Abraham. Just because evil things have happened to you doesn't mean that God has ignored you or deserted you. God brought you to where you are today, and maybe one of your miracles tells a story of what God has done in your life and what he has walked you through. As a result of what you've come through, serve God. Let's continue on. Joshua knew that it was impossible for the people of Israel to remain faithful to God. And if you look at the rest of their story going forward, it's this unending process of them being excited for God, then them not being excited for God, God sending a prophet or a judge to help them, and then they screw up again, and then you start to see God's response. He judges them. He sends them into captivity. He lets them die. This story isn't even new or unique to them. In fact, I would suggest that it's actually our story. When you or I are honest with ourselves, we know when we walk outside of God's will. We know when we walk away from him. And maybe even that means God's doing things in our lives to pull us back, things that we don't like things that make us very uncomfortable, things that we think hurt. I'm going to come back to that. Because this is why God, in his divine providence and foresight, sent Jesus to provide a way for us to remain faithful to him. Our sin, our choices to walk away from God, from what we know to be true, to get distracted by all the things around us, and consequently move us farther away from God. He sent Jesus to fix that. Sometimes even it's good things that distract us and shift our gaze from God, remove our focus. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't enjoy life. In fact, I think the opposite is true. We should very much enjoy life. God made us all unique and gave us unique personalities. We all have things that, that inspire us, we care about. I'll give you a good example. I like technology. I have no idea why. None. It just is the way I am. I love it. Making lights go blinky blinky, it's just the easiest way to tell people, is really fun. It looks cool. We all go to, we all go to, we love to go to shows and concerts, not everybody, but a lot of us. We like to get like lights shining in our eyes so we can't see anything. We're like, ooh, this is fun. It's really kind of weird. Um, and then we like to get some really loud sound and go deaf. We like walk out, you're like, I can't hear anything. My ears are ringing. Actually, don't do that ever, ever. You will not go deaf in chapel. That much I can tell you because we keep everything under a certain threshold. Side note. Important side note. Important side note. I am an audio engineer. I have to tell you that. You will not go deaf in chapel. I can give you the numbers upstairs. We meter them religiously. 
and you are not going deaf as a result of chapel. <laughs> Emphasize that one more time. So, the challenge is knowing where our heart really is. Is there something in my life that is shifting my real attention from my real focus on God? Like Joshua said, you will fail. You cannot remain faithful to you on your own. But because you constantly fail, God sent, sent Jesus to pay the price for your failures and to empower you through his spirit to faithfully and wholeheartedly serve him. Now, if you're listening to me and thinking that this message isn't for you, and I'm not talking to you, I'd highly encourage you to honestly ask God where he thinks you're at. I'm going to take a few moments here shortly in silence to allow God to speak to us. But I want to emphasize, it's only by God's grace, his limitless, undeserved, relentless, overwhelming grace that we can serve God. There is nothing at all that I can do to make God love me, like me, want me, anything. It is grace and grace alone. This is what Joshua is actually referring to. You can't do it. I can't do it. Only by the power of God can we possibly serve him. Without that grace, there is no possibility. That is the gospel story. That is why God sent his son into the world to die, to raise again, to pay the price for our sin, because without that grace, I have no hope. You cannot impress God. There is nothing you can do to make God want you or like you or be impressed with you. God already loves you completely, irrespective of your choices, irrespective of your past, irrespective of what you even think or want to believe about him. He has already made his choice. You can't change it. How do we do this? Life shift. You need to reorient your life to face God as the center of your daily of your daily actions. As you live it out day after day after day after day after day. And one important aspect of that process is discipleship. And I am not referring to a two- to three-week class that you take to learn how to be a good disciple, how to help out in a church setting, or whatnot. That is not discipleship. Jesus eloquently said exactly what discipleship is in Matthew 28, and I don't have this up on, this, on the board, but I like my translation better. As or when you go into all the world, Make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and by teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I inserted the buys. It's legitimate. I'll have a nice conversation with all the Greek scholars on the side, but I can back up my, my uh, translation. It's by. It is literally prescriptive in the text. 
That's how you become a disciple. What does that mean now? That cannot happen outside of relationship at all. This would take me a long time to unpack, but in the Garden of Eden, God started the discipleship process. And he walks it forward throughout all of human history. All of his discipleship happened through relationship. You see Jesus living on earth, and what did he do? He brought people into relationship to effect change in their life, to help them become more and more like God. And then he died so the Spirit could come and left earth, so the Spirit rose again, so the Spirit could come and empower us to live the way he wants us to. Discipleship is finding our, our peers, our friends, getting into a relationship with the people around us, being challenged to grow, especially in the uncomfortable ways. Inviting someone into your life and being honest about who you are and learning who you want to become. At North Central, you have a lot of people around you who want to be part of that process. Friends, peers, staff, faculty who are committed to you, who care about you, who pray for you, who love you. All you need to do is ask. If the worship team could come up. Pray with me. We're going to take a couple moments in silence, and they're going to take it from there. God, we know we fail, and we are overwhelmingly lost without you. We ask that you would meet us, that you would turn our face towards you that your light would shine upon us and draw us towards you. That you would pull us closer into relationship with you and you would draw us to the people around us to draw us closer to you. I want you all to take a couple moments here in complete silence. What is God saying to you? Where is your focus? Whom will you serve?